You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast, and today we are welcoming Dr. Tracy Dalgalish. Dr. Tracy is a registered psychologist out of Ottawa and runs Integrated Wellness, which is her mental health clinic there. She's also a podcaster, an Instagrammer. She's got e-courses for busy moms, women who are kind of stressed out and overwhelmed and how to find balance in their lives. And she's here today to talk to us all about, are you ready? all things sex. Now, working with moms day in and day out and on Instagram and polling you all, I see all of the comments about sex, about not wanting to have sex, about our partner wanting sex and we don't want sex or how to have sex when it's painful, postpartum, all things sex. And we are here to tackle some of these questions and these issues today. And guys, I can't wait. It gets juicy. It's so good. And Dr. Tracy, is so knowledgeable and warm and non-judgmental in these topics that you're going to get so much out of today's interview. Before diving in, we're just going to read our review of the week. This review comes from iTunes user, Wife, Mom, Nurse, and it's titled The Real Deal. Since having my second child three months ago, I've been listening to more podcasts. So happy I found one from an actual professional who has not only studied and worked with women, but is also a mom. She truly understands what changes when we become mothers. Excited to keep listening. I absolutely love getting your reviews. Thank you. They push me and inspire me to learn more, research more, and be better and show up for you guys every time I'm on the mic. So thank you so much for your feedback. Now, let's talk about sex, baby. I totally just revealed my age with that song, but it doesn't even matter. Grab a tea, curl on up, and we are about to have an awesome girls sex chat. Let's do it. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Tracy, thank you so much for joining me, joining us here today. I know that you and I have had this ongoing relationship through Instagram and we've been building this friendship, dare I say. And I've yeah. really been looking forward to connecting with you in real time, kind of quote unquote. So thank <laughs> you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Erica, for having me here. It's so nice to connect with you. We definitely have been building this friendship on Instagram, um, and it means so much to me that you've um, chosen to interview me for such an important topic for mothers. 
I can't wait to dive into this topic with you. And I pulled my Instagram and they had lots to say, lots of questions. And, you know, there's just a lack of knowledge, I feel like, and lack of conversation around some of these issues. So first, can we learn a little bit about your story and how did you step into this Instagram space? Because I know that it's kind of new for psychologists, for therapists to show up in this way. And and how did you end up in this space? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So as listeners already know, I'm a clinical psychologist and couples therapist. And, you know, I was on my maternity leave with my second child and in the depths of our Canadian Ottawa winter here, sitting on the couch, nursing, you know, the nursing repeat over and over again. And I remember scrolling through Instagram and watching TV and just seeing all of these images or posts about how motherhood was supposed to look or how our relationships Mm. were supposed to look. And I remember thinking, I mean, even all of the positivity posts and thinking this isn't helpful. So, you know, for, for where I'm at in my life, this isn't helpful. And I wanted to start taking the clinical knowledge that I have and the expertise around couples. I want to start taking that more accessible for people. So I, created my Instagram account over a year ago and just started posting and I created a podcast and e-courses and really with the intention of taking this knowledge and clinical experience outside of the therapy room to reach more people. Hmm. I love that. I love that. And I think we share that in common. Like That's also when I kind of birthed or started my Instagram was Uh out of this being at home you know, going through the Canadian winter, stuck inside and covered in spit up, looking at moms (laughs) who are, you know, hair done, makeup done, sort of snapped back to their bodies with all of these sponsored posts and different things on Instagram and talking with my mommy friends like, this is just not real life. Like, and I have nothing else really to compare it to because I'm stuck inside, you know, in in the cold and in the winter. I had three kids. I was more housebound than I had been on any other mat leave because taking three small kids out on your own is, is not, not a thing, (laughs) at least not in the beginning. So yeah. And, and started the same where like other moms need to know that this is not real life. Like this, there, there is duality in mothership. You are allowed to struggle and love your children at the same time. You are allowed to not like the tasks of motherhood or, or some of the responsibilities and, you know, have struggle with that, have a hard time with that and still be absolutely fiercely, passionately in love with your kids. And, and one does not take away from the other, you know? So showing up in that authentic way and giving moms permission to vocalize their struggle was really important too. Um, and is now kind of at, at the forefront of, of what I'm hoping to, to convey to moms. Right. So we definitely share that together. Yeah, absolutely. And and I find that when I post about couples um, or share anything about couples, you know, I've done some IGTVs, I've done some takeovers, I get so many questions from women and mothers. And it really shows, it really shows two things. One, our relationships are so important to us that 
we we need to find a way to care for them. And oftentimes we don't know. We're struggling, right? And and when baby comes, our relationships change. So that's the yeah. first thing. But the second thing is being able to get help. So going for couples therapy can be challenging when you've got a young one at home. You know, I, I do see new parents in my office and sometimes they bring in their two-month-old or their three-month-old. But once baby starts to get older, they're absorbing those emotions. And so baby can't come into our sessions. So being mm. able to get the resources, to have the time to do it, um, or even sometimes partners aren't interested in going for therapy yet. So that the space on Instagram, these podcasts, they're so valuable for helping other people really know, you know, what's normal in their relationship or even getting the tools to help make some changes. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that, like, well, for one, getting out to any kind of therapy or any appointments with a newborn is really challenging. Getting out oh, yes. without baby, just parents, is going to be like, you know, exceptionally challenging, especially in those like yeah. really young, squishy ages, right? But even when I right. step back and think about it in terms of my own relationship with my husband, like I wouldn't have even anticipated that this would have been um, such a, I, I want to say stressor on our relationship, but I don't know if that's the mm -hmm. right word because I feel like we had a really strong foundation, but just such a transition, I guess maybe is the word. Yes. Like we go through all of this prep for, I mean, we don't even go through a prep for adjustment to motherhood, actually. Like we go through, okay, how we're going to birth baby. Like I feel like I did, I spent yeah. my whole entire first pregnancy stressing about labor and delivery and how to bring this baby into the world. And I did zero preparation and had zero understanding of oh. what it was like once I brought baby home. And then also right. there were no conversations about um, – like how this just shifts everything in terms of your identity, but then also your relationships, because we did uh -huh. preparation for our marriage through pre-marriage counseling. You know, it's like kind of one of the requirements of our trip, yeah. I guess, or whatever, um, what it was going to look like to move in and live together and, and to adjust to, to one another. And yet that was like a by far way easier transition than like bringing <laughs> home this little third person into our marriage, you know? And, yeah. and there was no kind of alarm bells or like preparation or alert for that transition. No. You know? No, yeah. and we never talk about, we don't decide, you know, how will our relationship change when baby comes, right? Like we we didn't talk about that. My partner and I definitely didn't talk about that. Or, you know, who will get up in the middle of the night? Or what will we do when my emotions are all over the place when I'm sleep deprived? Oh, yeah. And, and I think it's important here, you know, no, we don't prepare ourselves and our relationship and intimacy for this stage. But I think it's important that we recognize that both parents do struggle. And actually, I asked my partner if I had his permission to share this because I remember we were on this walk and I was sharing how much love I felt for our son. So for my firstborn, mm -hmm. and my partner had asked if I still loved him mm -hmm. the way I did before our baby was born. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, well, first, I, you know, my response was I explained to him that my heart just got bigger and it didn't take away any of the love that I had for him. But I remember thinking like, 
here's my partner showing up really vulnerable right now. And that he himself, you know, I, I also too, but doubted, you know, uh, how, how much he was being cared for or nurtured, right? That this is, yeah. this is such a hard stage. And Erica, you know, sometimes what I see is that after baby arrives, there can be this special closeness between partners, but other times there could be a greater distance. Right. And that when a baby comes into our relationship, it can often make worse the patterns that were already there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And like I've said that to my husband or to like friends and stuff before. It's like my husband and I, I feel like we've got a very strong bond and connection. And the transition that we've gone through, like I said, like I can imagine if there are like fractures or if there are patterns where you're feeling maybe invalidated or like you lacked connection before baby, that that wedge just, you know, grows wider sometimes. Absolutely. And uh, so when we even think about moving forward and thinking about what's going to happen in a relationship, what I like to ask is, how can we expect ourselves to have the same relationship as before baby? Because we have both truly changed. Hmm. And we may not even want to go back to how we were before. So we might even think about things about how your sex and intimacy were before baby came. And maybe it wasn't what you wanted or enjoyed or, or you've just changed. And I like to think of this stage or this season as one where we are really trying to create a new intimate and connected relationship. Hmm. That's so interesting because you think back to like that really passionate, intimate, like first year or two of, of your relationship, right? When yes. like pre-kids, when you have all the time and you have all the passion and all the lust and all the sex and all the right. things, right? Right. And it's like, like we'll sometimes reminisce about like, do you remember when we just spent like entire weekends in bed? Like that was a thing, you know, and that's of just course. not a reality for us now. And so we're constantly no. sort of wrestling with, okay, what, what does it look like for us now? Cause man, those were good days. Like we wish we could have days like that. Like, you know, th those were awesome <laughs> days. We want to have days like that. It's just that like our situation and our circumstances and three human beings being dependent on us doesn't really allow for that anymore. So I love right. this idea of it's not going to necessarily be what it was because we get stuck in these expectations of how it should look, you know? Right. Absolutely. And, and so this is even a good spot to talk about desire um, in terms of um, spontaneous desire and responsive desire, which are two ways that we can talk about desire and arousal in our relationship. So you're talking about pre-baby, which um, sometimes is more spontaneous. And that's when you first started dating, where you, you know, you just looked at each other and you were vibrating or, you know, the sheer anticipation of receiving a text or them knocking on your door, right? Mm -hmm. That is spontaneous desire, which often leads to you know, the arousal and more intimacy and having more sex. But now in this stage, and we'll talk about the changes that happen. Um, now in this stage, we, we need to be nurturing more of that responsive desire, which is that desire isn't just going to be spontaneously there, but rather it's the buildup. 
Mm. It's the sending a text, letting them know you're thinking of each other. It's cuddling on the couch or sharing emotions from the day or giving a back massage. Yeah. Those are things that are going to help nurture intimacy because it's not just going to happen spontaneously like it did before you had a baby. Right. Like my husband and I have had conversations about this. I'm like, if we had the time like that, then I would have more of those spontaneous moments, right? Because then when when we get right. to this whole um, like mismatch and arousal or like initiating, and I know that that the stereotypical or maybe like the generalization is that moms are tired and like oftentimes yeah. dads are are ready to go and moms just have a lot going on. They're like touched out from the day or like all these things, right? And the right. conversation is like that it's not that I don't want intimacy or it's not that it, it's just like the time before we were like laying in bed. And like you said, it could just kind of naturally happen. And now with babies, my mind is more like, okay, X, Y, Z has to happen. So it's something that has to be like worked into the system. Does that make sense? Right. Yes, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the transitions that we see happening in our relationships once baby comes along is that we don't have enough energy in in the day, right? So at the end of the day, which most couples save their intimacy for the end of the day, um, we've got nothing left in our cup or we're all touched out or all of our attention and love and caring has been given to a baby that, you know, we have to care for. Um, but that really takes away from what's left to give to your partner. Yeah. And, and we also see that, you know, the sleep deprivation and the exhaustion, that's going to impact your relationship too. So it's not just, you know, you know things have changed so much um, in your relationship. But the other piece around here too is also around hormones, the hormonal changes that happen in postpartum. Um, and that is, you know, you're more likely to have a lower desire, Because if you're breastfeeding, that's going to decrease a woman's desire. Um, And I think that's important to label as well. Yeah. I've actually learned about this recently because I did an interview um, with, well, I've done a few with a few different people speaking specifically about hormones and that like your, your sex drive will be lower when breastfeeding, but also like things like vaginal discomfort and dryness because of hormones might be an issue, like lack of lubrication. Um, so irritation during sex, like there's a lot going on with a female's body during this time. And that doesn't reflect on a lack of desire for intimacy with her partner. It's Mm -hmm. just, there are lots of lots of things going on, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a lot of physical changes that are going to impact our intimacy. So your body and how you feel about your body and your body is continuing to change. And I don't really know the research on this one specifically, but I remember with both of my children, my body made a shift around the nine month mark. I really shed the water I was retaining. My nursing was decreasing with food and solids being introduced. Um, but I mean, that we're talking at the nine month mark and that's right. not at the six month or the six week mark rather. Right. And we oh, right. know what happens for women. Um, well, in Canada, we have our multiple appointments postpartum with our OBGYN. And then at the six week mark, we go and we get our clear, right. And you're discharged right. from your OBGYN. And oftentimes what this marker is, and I wonder if you can relate to this, is that it's like the, did you get clear to have sex? As in, can you have penis and vagina sex? Right. 
And, and yet at six weeks, many women, most women are not ready to have sex. Oh my goodness. Like TMI, but I'm pretty sure I was still like bleeding at six weeks. Like I don't think that I wanted penis and vagina sex at six weeks. Right. So another transition that happens during the stage or something that we really see that is common in this stage is that women are having sex, even though it's painful or they don't want to have sex or they are not having sex out of pain or fear of pain. And this is really challenging on our intimacy. Now, the challenge here is that if you are doing something that is painful, you will not Hmm. enjoy it. And it will continue to lead to you not enjoying it. And so I always tell people, stop having sex if it's painful. Um, it's not going to help you right? in the long And there's run. so many things that can contribute to painful sex, like it, like third and fourth degree tears and then the scar tissue and, and pelvic muscles. Like I, I, I refer to pelvic right. floor physio all the time because there is just so much that can contribute. Traumatic birth and even just building up trust with your partner and, and allowing yourself to relax for a sex. Like there are so many things that, that right. play a role in feeling safe and feeling relaxed and feeling comfortable. Um, so So sex just out of out of duty, especially during this time, it's just not, it's not helpful for, for yourself and for your body. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So sex needs to be pleasurable. And so if you put pain and sex together, it's not pleasurable and you are not likely to go back to do it again. And if you are someone that's experiencing pain right now, you have my permission to turn to your partner and say, no, in the long run will be better. But now let's talk about some things that you could do um, if it's sex, if it's painful right now, um, or you have a fear that it will be painful. And, you know, Erica, you've already said, like, listen to your body. Um, Don't keep doing it. But then also, too, I view my clients from a holistic perspective, and I highly recommend seeing a pelvic floor physiotherapist. Um, They'll do an assessment. They'll help you understand what factors are contributing to your pain. Um, But that pain can also be contributed by tensing. If we're afraid of something, we will naturally bracing for pain. So you might be clenching. Yes. Right. So clenching or holding your muscles tight during intercourse, that's going to contribute to the pain. And so focusing on relaxing and opening and breathing and staying present, you know, using lots of lube because like like we just said, your hormones um, make you more dry during intercourse. Uh, Yeah. So there there are some important things that we need to consider when we experience pain. Yeah. And I think that that is quite a common thing that brings people to physiotherapists and, and something that like, it doesn't even need to be, it it can be fear as well, or like emotional trauma too, right? Like, so there are things aside from just physical pain that might cause you to, to want to avoid or cause you to clench up or be fearful or whatever, because um, depending on each person's experience there, yeah, it's just, a lot, a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. So if there are things that you are experiencing around uh, your birth experience or your birth trauma, if there are emotions around that, that's going to impact your intimacy and your desire and arousal, um, your overall mental wellness. I mean, if you're stressed out, it's going to be incredibly hard to Mm -hmm. want to engage Mm -hmm. in sex and intimacy. Um, so oftentimes what we see in this stage is that if someone, if a woman is experiencing postpartum depression or anxiety, this will also contribute to decreases in intimacy. That's a really interesting point, actually, because I get asked this a lot. Like, I have no desire, right? Like postpartum with the baby. Like moms are coming and saying, mm-hmm. like, I don't, I just, uh, and, and this could be a bunch of reasons. I'm tired. I'm touched out. I have no drive. I, all right. of these things. Is it like, yeah. am I depressed? Does depression or does is like, is postpartum? Does it impact my libido? All of these types of things. So um, like I, when I step back and I think about it, I think that all of these things can contribute to a lack of, of drive, right? Uh, so saying that you have a lack of drive isn't Absolutely. to say that you have postpartum, but I think that if you do have postpartum, you don't have energy to even like shower. So you certainly may not have energy to be intimate with your partner, right? Yeah. Right. Oh, absolutely. There's nothing left in your cup, right? To be able to give to somebody else. And and that is part of intimacy. The other thing that I think is important here um, that contributes to lower desire or difficulties in intimacy uh, are things like your own emotions, or if there are toxic emotions that are happening between Mm. you and your partner. So for example, guilt. If you are feeling guilty about not having sex, or if you're feeling mom guilt, where you feel like you're not doing enough, or you don't love your baby enough, or or maybe even resentment towards your partner for how things are going. And this is something that we really need to take responsibility for and address because it will continue to contribute to uh, the loss of intimacy and relationship distress over time. Yeah, and I always think of resentment or these like stewing frustrations as an indicator that you either need to set a boundary with somebody or you need to advocate for a need, right? Because there's something inside of you that is going unmet. Like if I start to get to a stage where I'm like, oh, my husband never helps clean up the kitchen or whatever, which he totally does. That's his thing he does every day. (laughs) But but if I'm getting to this place where I'm just like, you know, harping on him in my mind, like when we start to place blame and shift blame onto other people, that's really a, a flag for us to sit and evaluate what need is going unmet for us that we feel like frustrated with this right. person. And he he can't read my mind. He doesn't know that I maybe need more help this no. week with XYZ because of how I'm feeling or whatever else. So I love that you brought up that frustration piece. Um, yeah, because I think that that we get stuck in these cycles a lot mm-hmm. and think that it's the other person's responsibility to step up and, and do the things. But if they don't know, and if you haven't right. advocated what your real need is, um, right. and it's very unlikely has to do with the actual dishes in the sink, you know, it's probably more likely you're feeling like lack of right. nurture and support in other ways. Uh, but that's on us. That's on us to have the language or to learn and figure out the language to communicate with our partners, right? 
I'm so glad you've mentioned this because it leads me into a conversation around attachment. We we can't sit and chat and oh, not talk about our attachment of when it comes course. to relationships and intimacy. And, and so you're absolutely right that it's not about the socks. It's not about the dishes. I mean, sometimes it's about the dishes, <laughs> but it's also about our core longings and our core need, right? We all long to know that we are important and that we matter to the one we love. And we all need reassurance to know that we're okay and that we're good enough. And so oftentimes, what's important in a relationship is to be able to see that there's a secure bond. And what that is, is it believes that I am lovable and worthy. So that's my positive model of self. That's how I view myself. But then also I have a positive view of the other person. And that means that I can rely on other people and that I view my partner as responsive and that I can lean on them in times of need. And what this means is that when I'm upset or when I'm anxious or scared or feeling vulnerable, I can reach for you. And I believe that you are accessible and I believe that you will respond to me in a moment of need. And so attachment really talks about accessibility, responsiveness, and comfort. Mm -hmm. And we know from Dr. Sue Johnson, the creator of EFT and renowned couples therapist and speaker on love, that she talks about the ARE conversation. Are you there for me? Will you respond to me? Do I matter? And are you engaged with me? So the are you there for Mm. me conversation. So the challenge becomes that if we're not secure in our relationships and we're struggling with our baby and we don't feel like we matter or that we're important, then it can be really hard to feel connected and to feel intimate during this truly vulnerable time. So there could be one of two things that are going to happen in a, in a relationship. So for someone who is more anxiously attached, it looks like doubting themselves that they are lovable and they look for others to validate them. So here, someone who is more anxious might hyperactivate their needs, or they're going to make their needs really loud, and they're going to demand or cling for comfort and reassurance. And so it's kind of the questions of, do you love me? Am I important? Soothe me? Can you hug me? I need your comfort. And just kind of like Mm -hmm. knocking at the door. Now, if this In this relationship, if this individual is not being connected with their partner in an intimate way, then they might begin to pressure or up the ante to engage in intimacy after baby returns. And so it can be a threatening time. um, Or if it's not specifically related to sex, then maybe there aren't a lot of hugs and kisses that were once there between the partners. Um, This person's going to become increasingly stressed in their Mm. relationship. Now, the other strategy, so for someone who is more avoidant, this is someone who doesn't necessarily need the other person. You know, we often say things like, I'm independent, I'm good on my own. They they believe that others will reject them. Um, and so they rely only on themselves. And I like to think of these people like islands. They're good on their own. And here what they do is they deactivate or they shut down their needs and emotions and they withdraw and detach in an attempt to soothe and protect. So in the example of thinking about when baby comes, they need to work on turning towards their partner during this time and reminding them and connecting with them and letting them know that they are still important. And then they also need to tune into their own desires and needs and start sharing these with their partner. 
And what's important here is that if we're putting space and distance between you and your partner, that this actually, the space and distance is actually going to create more distress and not closeness Mm. and connection. I love the framework of attachment styles. It's something that I use with Mm -hmm. even individuals that I work with because it brings such understanding to our own reactions and our own behavior in relationships, kind of like understanding your personality style does, right? Like it really gives you some understanding. And one of the things with like with whether you might identify as an anxious attachment style or an avoidant attachment style or whether you're secure they're all on equal playing field in the sense that all of their needs are valid, right? So you absolutely the avoidance absolutely. might have more need for independence and, and having a bit of like a buffer and some space sometimes. And the anxious might have more of a need for closeness and, and just feeling reassured. And it's mm-hmm. really about knowing what your needs are because your needs are your needs and they are okay, and learning how to communicate to your partner what your needs are. But then also knowing your partner's attachment style, because if you've got an anxious and an avoidant pairing, you've got this kind of back and forth that goes on uh, between partners, right? But knowing and and being aware and being able to communicate those needs with one another is so important, especially through a transition like this one. Yes. And there, you know, it's also too about how we communicate that, right? So it's important that we're not externalizing and focusing outside of ourselves. So things like you never, you never hug me. You don't come close to me. You, 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 right. Instead of talking about the inside stuff. And so it's more like, I'm feeling so vulnerable in this stage or, and I remember doing this uh, in the postpartum period with my partner feeling, you know, I feel empty. I feel so vulnerable. I I need a hug instead of the focusing on you never do this stuff. right. Right. Um, And what I like to remind partners here is that just because you have a need, and this is a hard one, just because you have a need doesn't mean that your partner can always meet it. So sometimes for someone who needs more comfort and closeness, the strategy they need to practice is being able to do some Mm. self-soothing because their partner may not always be able to give the love or the comfort they need. It doesn't mean you're not worthy of it. It means you need to self-soothe a little bit because your partner is different from you. One of the, uh, it was Stan Tatkin who uses the island and the wave analogy. And so the more avoidant person is the island and the wave is more of the anxious person that crashes into the island. And it gives a good analogy of what the two styles are like, but that they really can't work together. It just takes work. It's interesting because when you're talking about attachment, you're thinking about like self-soothing maybe before relying on the other person or when Uh the other person may not be accessible or has their own stuff going on. And I think about like attachment with, my boys, you know, it's very much the same. Like I am here Mm -hmm. always, right. As their secure base. And that doesn't mean that they don't have to learn to soothe themselves. Sometimes mommy might be cooking dinner. Mommy might be breastfeeding baby. Like there's other things going on. Right. That doesn't mean that mommy is not here, but there are those skills you've got to learn independently and you can't always rely on your secure person for, right? So I love that distinction because I think yeah. that interdependent is is the goal. We're not we're not striving for codependence where our partner, all of our eggs are in their basket and they are 
fulfilling all of our needs for us, but that we as an individual autonomous right. person can get some of our own needs met through our other relationships and our other friendships and learning our own coping skills and soothing. But then we can also know that we turn to our partner and they they have us when we need them, you know, like the interdependence. Yeah. Of course. I, I always like to Yes, I like to say independence is fine. Interdependence right. is better. Yeah. I love that. I'm like, man, we're going to have to unpack attachment styles one day because I spent so much time in that space and I just <laughs> love it. I love the pairings. I love I love it. Attachment is one of my uh, closest frameworks and it's so, it's so helpful. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about the transitions and... Like, so we've got kind of this really, you know, you, you've you got the six week clear from your doctor. You may or may not be ready for sex. Sex may be painful, but like, where do the transitions go from there? Because obviously postpartum, we're probably not having a lot of sex in those first, you know, six weeks, even maybe three months, mm. potentially depending on our healing and what it looks like. Mm. Like, how does our, our sex life and our intimacy start right. to transform throughout that time? Yeah, I, I think it's important that we acknowledge that intimacy in general uh, is important in our relationship, that, um, you know, it builds closeness and bonding and that sex, you know, is similar to breastfeeding where it releases oxytocin. It's a bonding chemical that brings us together. But what's really important here is that everyone's context is different. And sex happens in context. Um, so what's happening in your relationship should not be compared to what is happening in someone else's relationship. And instead, it's actually more important to be on the same page with your partner and to know that you're both nurturing each other and finding a space through this. So I never talk about, you know, you should be having sex this amount of times a week right. or a month. Um, that's just not realistic. And what I actually like to say to women is, and it's kind of funny to say it on a podcast and put it on record <laughs> rather than just in my closed doors. <laughs> the four walls of my office is that I take sex sex as defined as penis and vagina. I take it off the table for the first year and maybe even longer depending on what's going on in your family, right? Because if you're sharing a bed with your child, then sex is going to be even harder. Um, So I I think that's really important to acknowledge um, first that there's a lot going on in your first year um, after having a baby and that you are allowed to take it off the table. Now, it doesn't mean that you completely sideswipe your partner. It means how are we going to nurture intimacy in a right. different way? And actually, I'd love to take a moment to talk about um, the differences in men and women's arousal systems. I think this is so important to talk about. I've talked about it on my Instagram account oh, before. I've, I've heard um, it. I love this. I've referenced this with my husband before. Like, this is helpful. Let's do it. Let's dive in. Yes, let's go into this. Okay, so the traditional medical model uh, that we learn about the sexual response cycle is a four-phase model, and it looks like first you feel desire, then it builds to arousal, it builds to orgasm, and goes down to resolution. Mm. And you go through that cycle several times, Um, or not several times, rather, but you go through that cycle every time you you engage in sex. Um, Now, 
Newer research, though, shows that female arousal and desire is actually more in a circle, and it doesn't look like that at all. Instead, there are so many psychosocial issues that contribute to our desire and arousal. So things like satisfaction with our relationship, our self-image, our previous sexual experiences. And for women... um, they're not necessarily aware of their arousal. Um, so for example, they, um, they tested out a Viagra type pill for women and they asked them if they felt more aroused. And so physiologically that there was more blood in the vulva area and that was being measured, but they didn't report feeling more aroused. Does that make sense? That's so interesting. Yeah. That makes total sense. And it's really interesting when we even think about our own genitalia and how we're, t- we're taught about it, that for men, they can see their arousals, they can see the erection, but for women, we don't see that. So it does lead us to also need to talk about that sex doesn't happen between the legs, or rather, rather arousal and desire doesn't happen between the legs, but it happens between the ears. Mm. And that arousal for women comes from emotional intimacy, And and I love this. So why do women have sex? They have sex to please their lover, to feel intimate, to prevent conflict or to make up after it. But that men become intimate to have sex and women have sex to become intimate. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it really is about nurturing all of the contextual factors in your life to help contribute to your sense of arousal and desire. And sometimes if you are so busy looking after baby and just trying to survive this stage, it might be the last thing uh, on your to-do list. And that would be completely normal at this stage. It's really interesting because when I'm thinking about my own experience postpartum, um, particularly with my first, because that was like such a huge adjustment, first time mom, you know, and I think about yeah. um, like intimacy in terms of just connection and feeling closeness to my partner. Uh, it was all the ways he showed up for me when I was struggling. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. like those teary yeah. moments or those unsure moments or like just baby blues moments, crying for no reason in my room, feeling overwhelmed or couldn't soothe the baby in the middle of the night or things like that. Right. And he showed up and he stepped in in a way that just felt so good Aww. and safe, you know? Right. So, so, so this is in closeness for us. Like when I think about draw, like drawing close to him, that I had nothing to do with sex, you know? Right. Right. Which is such, it, it, that is my first tip in terms of how to improve your intimacy, which is build your trust and security in your relationship. Um, show up emotionally for each other. Um, support each other through those really vulnerable times or, or even just being able to share that with your partner. We need to have that in our relationships in order to build our intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. And then I also love when you're talking about that, the model um, of like a sexual arousal that 
uh, like I had heard about it before when you had done it on your Instagram and, and talked to my husband about just the differences. And it was such an interesting conversation about how like I may not want to have sex when he's like, you know, ready for sex. But how if you engage in it and you start to like allow yourself to get going with it or uh, like, you know, Uh communicate to your partner what it is that can get you going and things, then you can start to enjoy it as it gets moving. I think was sort of one of the tips that you had said, like, you may not feel like you desire it at first, but you're like open to the idea. And just because you don't desire it before it starts doesn't mean that you're not going to enjoy it. Does that make sense? Is that sort of? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I was recently li- listening to Emily Nagoski and she has this amazing book called Come As You Are. I highly recommend it for all women at all stages, but she gave an example recently around, it's like going to a party, right? So a few weeks before the party, you agree that you're going to go to the party. Um, and then as the party approaches, you're like, oh, you know, I don't really want to go. And I do this all the time. It's like, oh, I don't, don't really feel like going out tonight. It's Friday night. You know, I would love to stay in my pajamas. But then you go, you go anyways, and then you remember what, like, what led you to say yes. It, that's it's so funny. It's the, that's exactly. Right? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. When I listened to her give that example, I was like, yes, that's exactly it. Is that you know our and, and it's partly our minds. Our minds are such powerful machines that keep us you know, so busy thinking about all the things that we have to do either in the future or things that we should have done in the past, that it's really hard to just get really present. And it's something that I talk about all the time about just being and living in the present and, you know, enjoying touch just for the sake of touch. Pleasure um, is important, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there's always this conversation of like, man, like, we should do this more often. Why don't we do this more often? It's because we're exhausted <laughs> and it takes so much time and effort to get to that place. But then there's always like, yeah, this was great. You know, like it, yeah. it mutually when you're both involved and you and you get there, but it's it's the whole, yeah, the party, should I go? Should I go to bed? Should I stay in my PJ? Like, you right. know, <laughs> that whole contemplation right, that happens. Yeah, I love that analogy. You know, I think that, I think that couples really need to start redefining what sex looks like. And oftentimes when they show up in my office, it really is the space of we're not having sex, which is we're not having intercourse. And sex can mean so many different things. So if you're looking to improve your intimacy, sit with your partner and uh, talk about what other things help you feel connected. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be penis and vagina. It doesn't always have to be about orgasms. It can just be, you know, combing my hair or tickling my arm or a massage of the feet, right? There are so many different parts of our body that can actually help build desire and arousal that we just forget that they even exist. Right. Or it's like, you come home to the floor vacuumed <laughs> or like <laughs> the house, and you're like, okay, yeah, that works. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I saw right. this, like, and a Instagram like, poster, like a meme and it's like, you yeah. know, sending, sending sexy texts to my wife. And it's like him doing all the things around the house, showing her like all the stuff he's done. 
<laughs> right. So, so that might be one of those off uh, things for for how you stop feeling like you want to have sex. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I'm just teasing, but it's so it's so funny how it's like when. But I think that really speaks to obviously more than just the dishes. It speaks to like when you feel like you're equally supported, and you know your partner mm-hmm. is offsetting the load, and you feel like you're in it together and you're sort of in alignment is really what that speaks to, right? Like your partner is seeing your needs and you guys are sharing things and you're supporting one another and you're on the same page. And then it's, again, then you're drawn together again, right? So, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And so Emily Nagoski talks about two pieces. So one is you have a strong friendship, and that's really important. So she does talk about the trust that's that's in the relationships, the are you there for me conversation. But then she also says that couples prioritize sex. And what's important to remember is that most couples, I would even say not all couples, but most couples are not having a lot of sex because we all live busy lives. But the difference though is that you, you prioritize sex. So when you do get home, and actually the exercise I like to give to, ex- to couples is around setting an intention. And when I say it in session, I usually say, I want you to schedule your sex. And they look at me like, schedule? <laughs> yeah. You want me to schedule it? And that's not what I want them to do. Instead, I want them to set an intention for the day and prioritize intimacy. So what that means is you wake up in the morning, you shower, you nurture yourself the way you were, you you would do if you're going on a first date. Maybe during the day you send texts or you think about those memories that, you know, those really great times you've had together Or you maybe fantasize about something you'd like to do with your partner. And then when you get home and there's stuff all over the floor or the dishes aren't done or the kids are running chaos, you just let it go. You put it in a box and you get back to it the next day because this is the day that you are prioritizing your intimacy. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And there's something so important for women about setting the intention in their mind ahead of time right? Like knowing that this is something like thinking about it, anticipating it, because I know for most men, like they, they're ready to go on like the mention, you know, but for women, like setting that intention and really just thinking about how, like all the good times that they've had and, and what, you know, they may want to explore that day and things like that can really help just to carve out that space and, and kind of commit to that. This is something that is going to happen. Right. And, and how are we going to enjoy it and make it fun? And, and it's interesting. I joke because like you had mentioned the first year is kind of like a write-off in terms of intimacy because of baby and sleep and everything. And we always joke that you can tell when um, we started to get like our sex life back because we got pregnant again. All of our kids are like so close back to back. <laughs> but like you can tell we started to like get our mojo back because then I ended up right. like pregnant or whatever. Because you do, you do find your mojo again. You do find right. time for one another again. And it is important to prioritize and schedule and communicate those needs to get on the same page, but baby does start to go to sleep. Kids do start to be down to right. bed around 7.30 or 8 or 8.30, whatever your routine is. And you you do find time for each other again. And I think that 
prioritizing and and having those intentions and and building those healthy relationship habits as partners, you know, making sure you've had conversations and you feel well supported and you're there for one another, you will find those times. You know, it's not always going to be you just start to think about intimacy or just start to like snuggle up and then baby starts to cry. You know, like that's not always going to be the way. And I know in those times it always, like it feels like that that season will never end, you know, like you're never going to have time (laughs) for each other again. But you will. Yes. You will. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing for women to remember too, and this can sometimes be a hard one depending on, how you learned about sex growing up. And so this is the messages around sex. So if you learn that sex is shameful, this is going to be a hard one. Um, But for women, it's also important for you to nurture your own desire and your own arousal, which means learn how it feels to have an orgasm by yourself. Learn how to self-stimulate and uh, nurture that part of you. I think that's really important in terms of our own sexuality. Yeah, that's interesting because I do I work with a lot of clients who who struggle with values or have have felt shamed about sexuality growing up, right? Right. I'm about initiating sexuality, about um, you know, being overly sexual and like that that can be shamed yeah. in some kind of cultures and values. So there is a lot of even um like just thoughts and cognitive like beliefs and things to work through sometimes when it comes to building up that mutually enjoyable sex life with your partner, right? Yes, of course. Yeah. You you asked earlier about the disconcordant couples, the um, the low high desire couples. Yes. So I, I think when it comes to, so this is um, often what I see in my office is one partner comes in with low desire and the other one has high desire. And what's important to remember for the partner that has high desire is it's important to understand your approach. And so your approach is that you are knocking on the door and I would want to know, are you only asking for sex? And again, that's defined in heterosexual couples for penis and vagina. Um, But it's important to tune into other areas in your relationship. So, you know, we've talked this podcast about the emotional intimacy, the emotional connection and safety, Um, because what tends to happen in this cycle is that there's the approach and then they're denied. And then sometimes there's the anger and then the withdrawal. Right. And that's really hard for the partner with the low desire because this individual then doesn't feel safe. Mm. Um, and that's that's a challenging cycle to get into. Now, the person with low desire has to understand that you you really hold the cards and it's a powerful position in a relationship. And you know, I hate using this word, but it's it's in some ways not fair. Mm. So this is also about starting to nurture other areas of intimacy first in your relationship that all areas need to be nurtured. So things like, you know, just touch, touch to just enjoy touch. And that's a great way to start. Taking the pressure off of having orgasms is another great way to start. Um, you know, anytime there's pressure when it comes to around to having sex, you're just killing desire and arousal. Yeah. And I think about that pattern of the the person who's knocking on the door constantly feeling rejected 
And then the person right. who is sort of not answering the door as constantly feeling shame and guilt for not showing up, you know, and there is yes. so much emotional kind of turmoil or like things that each partner go through that neither one feel good or satisfied in either one of those positions. Like, yes, I know the person with the low desire kind of holds the cards more, but it sounds like they uh -huh. also, they, they're, they're going to struggle with guilt and shame for maybe not having desire either. So I love when yeah. you talked about um, that you don't necessarily have to feel desire to actually get in the mood and to enjoy. So setting that intention is so important, right? And then I also work mm -hmm. with couples on like, what would be a win-win, you know, like we're maybe not going to get to the ideal of like the person with the high drive that might want like two times a day or like every single day, right? And right. And, and the low drive person might, might be able to go for like a month or two. And like, what would be a thing like a win-win or like a situation that that both of us could live with and feel happy with and how do we set intentions mm -hmm. or kind of schedule that in a way that the person isn't always being rejected and the other doesn't feel guilty for always turning down right like how do we have some conversations right. to set this up in a healthy way and and everyone feels heard and supported and their needs are being met right Yes, absolutely. And really about co-creating a new space together, right? So we're not taking either partner and changing them completely to their side, but rather how can we make this work together? I love that. And it really comes kind of full circle back to our conversation at the beginning about we're not trying to make this something that it was before, right? Like our sex right. with our partner after baby is not going to be the sex that we had when we were first discovering each other's bodies. And I mean, you can still always discover each other in different ways, and but it's yeah. going to be different and it's going to be new and it's not going to be the same. So working together right. to find what that new normal is, and that can still be very exciting and very fun. And there's a new comfort level of maybe just whatever, mm. you know, there's a new level of comfort Absolutely. there and that can be amazing, but it, but it can be different and different is okay. Right. Yeah. And a lot of couples get scared, right? This is scary and vulnerable um, to be able to play and have fun and uh, just enjoy pleasure. And that that's what the stage is really about is how can we then learn our bodies again? How can we learn to touch? How can we just um, connect physically in some way? Like, are we just going to lie in bed naked against each other? And can it just be that right now? Right. right? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I think that the stage that my husband and I are in with just such like a like a closeness and having gone through these children and feeling like close and together, it kind of gives a new permission to to be playful and to trust wow. one another. You know, like there's a different level of intimacy there than there was when we were first kind of passionate and lustful. So it it can be an equally or even more satisfying place to be in once we accept and embrace that it doesn't have to be what it was before. Right. Absolutely. Oh, Dr. Tracy, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been such a valuable and insightful conversation. And where do you hang out online? Where can people find you? What kind of resources <laughs> do you have? Like, I love your Instagram page. Let's send people there. 
Yeah. So on Instagram, you can find me dr.tracyd. Um, I'm, my website is drtracyd.com. Um, I post all about relationships and motherhood and living a meaningful life as a woman. I also have a podcast as well. It's called I'm Not Your Shrink. But my newest piece that I'm really excited about is our e-course that we've created for women. And it's called From Stress to Balanced, Tools to Help You Live Your Best Life. Our doors are opening again on November 15th. And we've had such great reviews from the first round of people who have taken this course that it's just it's such a great tool. There's so many great pieces in that course that every session we recorded, I thought, this is my best one. This is my favorite one. Um, But yeah, then I, you know, I also created a a handout. I, I call it five ways to improve your intimacy. So if you're looking for these tips on something written down, um, head over to my Instagram account there or on my website and I'll have it there to download. Yeah. And what I will do is all of the resources and things that we've mentioned today in our episode, I'm going to link in the show notes. So that includes the book that you had mentioned, where to find you on Instagram, um, your your freebie that you're giving out. All of those things will be linked if you go into the description of the podcast. There's a link there to the show notes so that we can make sure everyone can find you and link to all of your stuff. So Thank you so much for joining me today, for taking the time. And uh, yeah, I appreciate the way you're showing up. I appreciate the work that you're doing. And I really value what you share with moms and how you're helping. So thank you so much. Thank you, Erica. And thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. I absolutely love this platform that you are creating and the space for mothers that you're building. So it was a pleasure to sit with you today and get to hang out. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. 